0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here is your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project, and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman.
1: My guest in this episode is the amazing Guy Speer, who is an investor based in Zurich, Switzerland, and author of a book you will benefit from reading. It's called The Education of a Value Investor, My Transformative Quest for Wealth, Wisdom, and Enlightenment. It's his story, his journey that we will be exploring here and from which I hope you will draw some valuable lessons. In 2007, he made headlines by bidding $650,000 for a charity lunch with Warren Buffett. Since 1997, he's managed the Aqua Marine Fund, which is an investment partnership inspired by and styled after the original Buffett partnerships from way back 50, 60 years ago. Prior to starting Aquamarine, Speer worked as an investment banker in New York and as a management consultant in London and Paris. Guy and I talked about the importance of introspection and how reflecting on our background, our strengths, our our failures, gives us the courage to be more honest with ourselves and most importantly with our loved ones and our co-workers, and that's why he's on this show to help inspire and inform us about what it means to find real success. So now get set to listen and learn uh, about how to figure out what's truly valuable in life life, and how by, by doing so, you increase the chances of finding and creating real success. Guy, welcome to our show.
0: You. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me
1: on. Well, uh, thanks for making time to talk about what you've been writing about and uh, and to share some of the wisdoms uh, the wisdom of your experience with with our listeners. Let me uh, just ask you to start with um, what is probably your greatest claim to fame, and that is uh, having bid uh, over six hundred and fifty thousand dollars for a lunch with Warren Buffett, uh, you know, that's more money than most people on this planet make in a lifetime. So why did you spend so much to spend lunch with Warren Buffett?
0: Yeah. Well, I, I should tell you, Stu, that um, uh, I was one third of that and my bidding partner, Monish Pabri was two thirds of that. So okay. uh, I, I got to buy in, at, at you know, at a, at a, <laughs> at a, at a, a discount. A discount to that, I would say, and I went with my wife, and Monish went with his wife and his two, two daughters. So um, I, was, I was one of uh, six guests, six of us. And, you know, I think that what, what Monish Pabrai understood that I had not yet understood was most people just would have said conventional wisdom was, oh, paying to have lunch with Warren Buffett. But, well, and, you know, if you think of the n- numerous amounts that are given to charities mm-hmm. where all you get is a plaque or your name on the building, you don't get to hang out with somebody who's unusually interesting, uh, then um, it already puts a different light on it. But then uh, the um, the other thing that I would say is that I learned from that, and Monish understood that, to spend time in the company of extraordinary people mm. is just something that if you can afford to do it is very, very worthwhile, even if you have to spend a lot of money on it. Because there, unfortunately, and maybe you have a better understanding of this than I do, there are a small number of people who figured an awful, lot, an awful lot more out mm-hmm. than we have. And somehow studying them from afar is good. But being in that presence can be an exo- extraordinary mm. uh, sort of growth accelerator.
1: Well, so, you know, one of the points that you make in your book, which I, I, I am just really drinking in, it's so wonderfully written. It's, it reads like a, like an adventure story, while it's also you know just filled with wonderful observations and bold, I would say, uh, you know, uh, declarations of what it is that you've learned through your lessons of experience. One of the things that that you point to is uh, the importance of Surrounding yourself with people whose values are aligned with yours
0: Absolutely, and, and that's and certainly
1: true in the case of Buffett, right?
0: <clears throat> absolutely, and you know I, something that uh, just comes up for me. I should tell you Stu that of course coming up to this uh, Radio show I started mm. actually taking a look at your books mm. and you know, it's so strange I was living in New York not that far away from you and you started teaching this course at Wharton the same year that I went to Harvard Business School. Mm. And somehow, you know, even though those two cities are so close to each other, I did not, uh, I was not exposed to any of your teaching. <laughs> and I, I just wonder if I'd have been a different person if I had
1: been exposed to your teaching. No uh, doubt, guy. no <laughs> doubt. Things but, would have been entirely different. <laughs> uh,
0: <but> I, <laughs> but here's, here's what happens when you spend time with Warren Buffett. Yeah. I learned how little time and energy he spends doing things that he doesn't like to do. Mm-hmm. And a thought that I had before before coming on here is that, you know, you talk about authenticity. Mm-hmm. And one of the big things about being authentic is that it just takes up less energy. Mm-hmm. When you are authentic with yourself uh, and you're authentic with the world, you waste less energy trying to be different things to different people. And, you know, we all think that we're going to, get over doing that presenting the right mask at work and another mask elsewhere we can do it but it just takes so much energy out of us energy that couldn't be productively mm. used for much better uses
1: it's so interesting so, you know it's a topic we've been talking about a lot on the show lately is this idea of you know the masks that we wear and the costs of having to disguise who we truly are in the workplace and and the cost in terms of you know just what you're describing here the energy uh, to, to pretend uh, it's it's just so much more yeah. uh, simple and, and elegant really to be who you are but it takes a lot of courage to do that and you had to muster quite a bit of courage to find who you really were in your work didn't you guy
0: yeah so you know uh, actually funnily enough Stu, you I saw that you get people to keep journals and writing a book is just one great big journal keeping mm-hmm. experience and you know my book was useless until I got the courage to write this first chapter where I realized that I was willing to be honest with the world about uh, this horrible place that I worked at straight out of business school. And uh, the funny thing is, and this is the strange thing about courage uh, in sort of the work-life business environment, mm. is that it seems that when we have the courage to be honest, people respect us for it. I remember mm. the first time I feel like I really had courage in in my fund world was when i was at an investor meeting and somebody asked me uh uh so guy could you you've talked about the things that you buy could you tell us about what your sell discipline is and i mustered somewhere in that moment the courage to say you know what i'll be honest with you i suck at selling Hmm. i don't have a good sell discipline let me tell you why And there was a sort of a sharp intake of gasp of breath with some people. That's at least what I sensed. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and I really walked out of there with that horrible feeling that I was going to get all these redemption requests the next day. Instead, People
1: wanted to sell your your fund rather than stay with you.
0: Yeah, that's what I was afraid of, Mm -hmm. but instead I was, in a certain way, I wouldn't say I was showered with love, but I was (laughs) given respect Mm. and people understood more about who I was and I attracted more of the right kind of investors into my fund as a Mm. result. And so it seems that, what I don't understand, I have a question for you, Stu. Why is it that those moments of courage seem so difficult beforehand, Mm. And afterwards, we look back and we say, "Wow, that was actually so easy, and I'm so glad that I did it."
1: I think it's because we're afraid of what we're going to hear and what we carry around in our heads about what is, you know, what we expect is is going to occur when, uh, you know, when we declare ourselves for who we are. It's just uh, it's 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 inflated with all kinds of, you know, anxieties about failure and you know risks that aren't there. Yeah. Uh, And, you
0: know, so so you you asked me about spending time around the right people. Yes. And, you know, this. uh, so uh, I had this lunch with uh, first meal with this friend, Monish Pabrai, who was my bidding partner on the uh, lunch with Warren Buffett. Mm -hmm. And he mentioned various books to me. One of the books that he'd mentioned was the autobiography of Mahatma Gandhi. Hmm. So after this meal, I go and buy the book. But it was sat on my shelves for years before I read it, two or three years. First, I don't know, 100 pages of the book, I discover that Mahatma Gandhi, in his autobiography to the planet, talks about uh, his experiences with prostitutes. Yes. And it was – my jaw dropped. It was utterly shocking to me that he would do that. And that was an incredible example Mm. of authenticity to the power of authenticity.
1: So is that – I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Finish your thought. No, go ahead, Stu. Well, I was going to say, is that what gave you the courage to to declare as much as you did about your early days post uh, post MBA at at DH Blair?
0: I think that that was part of it. It was this determination to be um, to be honest with the world, mm. and that that I had to do it at this point in my life because if I didn't do it now, I might never do it. Mm. But it wasn't just Mahatma Gandhi. I mean. Warren Buffett is, is extremely honest with the world. You know, Charlie Munger has a great line, the vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway and the person who Warren Buffett thinks is of his partner. He says, mm-hmm. it's better not to lie. Then you don't have to remember what you said to whom. <laughs> of course. <You> know?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a core that's... principle of, of the great leaders I've known and admired. And it's, it's wonderful to see. How you have demonstrated it, I, I want to step back here and, and give listeners uh, a chance to hear. You know, what's the essence of of what are what you've said in your book, the the education of a value invest of of the of a value investor. The uh, what is what's the essence of your idea in the book?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that uh, I think actually you you could you could bring it down to just that idea of if if we don't. Become authentic with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Then, if I, it was only when I became authentic with myself that my career really got started mm-hmm. and my life really got started, and it was only when I became authentic with my shortcomings as an investor and my shortcomings around money that I could really start to go about conquering my uh, my my drawbacks, and and that made me ultimately far stronger. So I think. You know, it's interesting that you you sort of tripped on the word the education or the education of the or a. It's certainly a value investor. In, mm-hmm. in other words, it's me that I'm
1: talking right. about,
0: not anybody else. But but the ultimate message is that I, I suppose is that to really find ourselves in finance or in with our own finances and with investing, the ultimate answers all lie within ourselves. They don't lie outside. And when we're experiencing difficulties in the world in our careers or in 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 my experiences written in the book in my investment portfolio the real place to look is in my own background my own foibles my own weaknesses and all the answers lie there actually
1: and how did you come to understand that i mean this is this is ancient wisdom writ in modern you know modern language in modern times <laughs> what, for you personally though and your your journey of self discovery what led you to this uh, recognition and, and that I, mean, you...
0: I think one thing's really important is that it was the, the realization that you know economics uh, finance the capital asset pricing model uh, the the answers did not lie there and so the first thing was to know where not to look uh, and then i when not I, I, to what sorry where not to look where
1: not to look answers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: and to know that hmm. the answers weren't there i think then you know i i um first of all i think i was living in new york city and while new york city is a vortex for all sorts of reasons it's also a great place for people who are on a journey of discovery i mean Uh, There's every different type of psychotherapist under the sun, and I must have tried them all. And I think that I started on a reading program of reading dozens of different kinds of books, starting for me with actually – somebody who's just finan- published a book on finance, Anthony Robbins. But moving on, I think somebody who had a deep impact on me is this guy, Joseph Campbell. Mm. And he's written his book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And he used to give courses at the Esalen Institute mm-hmm. in uh, California. And, you know, he's, he's got this idea of finding your own, search for your own bliss, mm-hmm. seek your own bliss, and this idea that we should each be heroes of our own journey. And suddenly, all I needed to do was read that and have that that idea in my mind to suddenly realize that why, you know, things like the Iliad and the Odyssey are great stories that we continue to read in Western civilization. It's not because the, the key point there is that uh, um, the Odysseus is somebody who's who we should try to be like. He overcame his difficulties. Mm-hmm. We have our own difficulties to overcome. Every one of, and of in us. A, Yes, and in a certain way, we shouldn't look at him as the hero and us poor humans who are so useless, but to understand that just as his, because it's written in in the literature of ancient Greece, you know, he's sort of uh, doing these epic battles, but you know what? In each of every one of us, there is an epic battle going on as well. Mm -hmm. And if, if we see ourselves as heroes... Then, then it, it just that simple shift of mind gives gave me, I think, a lot more resources to start confronting some of the things that I was uh, afraid of, like the fear of writing about my horrible experiences in an investment bank.
1: Guy, you're you're speaking to us from. Are you in Zurich now? Which is I, your I'm home?
0: In, I'm in Zurich, Switzerland, which is. Which is where I moved when I realized that I needed to get away from the bad influences of New York City. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and and your children managed the uh, transition to a new country. Uh, with...
0: Yeah, I mean they were they were young enough, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and they were they're in a bilingual school where they speak both. Uh, um, you know, the, the ones who come into the school speaking English, learn German, and the ones who come into the school learning, speaking German, learn English. So, and you know, Stu, what I would tell you is, I didn't know how it would work out, but I had this deep feeling inside myself that this was the right thing to do. Uh, my wife, uh, we came over here the summer before we moved and we checked it out. My wife was up for it. Mm -hmm. And then, and I'm sure you've experienced this in your own life and in the lives of some of the people that you've studied. You know, it, was, it looked like a sort of a crazy move at the time, mm-hmm. but when we moved, things just fell into place mm-hmm. in a way that was slightly canny for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that when, when we step off the railway tracks and get on our own more authentic path, mm-hmm. things have a wonderfully strange way of working out so in a way that we just don't know. You
1: can't predict it. Absolutely, but, but you know, yeah. But you see, in retrospect, and that is certainly one of the themes that I have observed in my own my own life, but also in the people that I've studied and tried to help uh, find their own path. And it, it's it's remarkably akin to to your story, to which I want to return, especially in terms of what lessons you you want to try to impart to others who might be struggling. And I know that there are people listening right now who are thinking, "Gee, how did he do that? How did he jump off the treadmill?" of, you know, the world, of, you know, the very attractive and perhaps seductive world of, uh, you know, finance as, as, as most people know it, uh, to, to find his own path that was closer to his own values. What was it, I mean, how, did, how in a nutshell, were you able to yeah. make that transformation?
0: I mean, so, so I think that, you know, uh, I put myself in the shoes that I was in as this investment banker at this uh, bucket shop and seeing Warren Buffett shining light on the hill, and I had no clue about how to get from where I was to something closer to what he was. And I also think of the people who climbed Everest for the first time. And I think on some level, you know, you don't have to ask yourself, you know, Sir Edmund Hillary, before he climbed Everest, did not sit around saying, why on earth am I not on top of Everest? He said, well, if I want to climb Everest, what kind of equipment do I need mm-hmm. and what kind of training do I need? And then he asked himself, as he was going up, am I closer to the summit or am I further away from the summit? And I think that those, that simple thinking is what I started applying in my life. Uh, so I started saying to myself, first of all, um, what would Warren Buffett do in my shoes? So literally, if Warren Buffett was sitting at my desk at this firm, what would he do? And, you know, and, and so I pulled, I sort of summoned the powers, if you like, or the or the, or the presence of these people who were heroes to me. And I started mm. making modifications. So I don't think that somebody who's sitting in a job, earning money that their family may need, mm-hmm. I'm, I don't think that it's, it's in any way practical to tell that person, oh, you just need to make all these radical changes and everything will work out fine. I think that we need to take incremental steps, yep. uh, and we need to just keep, never lose the dream, keep introducing things into our lives that might get us closer. And I think that, you know, it's a lifelong process. Mm-hmm. And what I experienced was that if I kept, I kept doing that, I kept doing that, I had, and I made some terrible missteps along the way. I mean, the truth is, if Warren Buffett had been in my shoes, he would have walked straight out of there, and I didn't do that. But still it the process doesn't have to be perfect, but if just that gradual moving towards things when the time is right, and I don't you know, I don't think I'm a religious person, but there's a certain religious quality to this. When the time is right the universe opens up to us. Hmm. But it only opens up to us as we've been spending all our time preparing. And we've been working really hard at it and we've been we've been nibbling away at it. So I do not think that somebody who's in a job that they hate, Mm -hmm. maybe in an organization that they don't like, whose Mm -hmm. values don't match theirs, Mm -hmm. but they're bringing home the bacon, I don't think it's fair for you or I to tell them, you know what, it's so simple, it's not simple, it's a struggle, it's hard, that's why we should consider our, ourselves as heroes. Odysseus didn't make it home in a day. He had so many battles that he needed to fight, so many fears that he had to overcome.
1: And, and what and, about you? So let's, let's get back to to your <laughs> story. And, and you know, you, you refer to missteps. Can you give us an example of one that you made that, you know, I, from I which mean, in I, retrospect was, you know, you learned something useful?
0: I, I think that the, the most silly thing about me at that investment bank is that, you know, like the, the scene in the Titanic movie when our hero uh, is being chased by, uh, by by the rich guy with the gun. Haven't seen and it. Suddenly, and suddenly he realizes that the ship's sinking, and he's half he's trying to chase uh, the guy who's gone off with his, his fiancée. And okay. he's knee-deep in water, and he suddenly notices, oh, my God, I'm focusing on the wrong thing. I should be focused on saving myself. Mm-hmm. There I was at this investment bank deeply embedded in the machinations of trying to win credit for the deals that I felt I was bringing in and trying to in participating in the politics and incapable of standing back and seeing the bigger picture, which was that I was never going to win in that environment and that winning in that environment would have compromised my soul to a horrible degree. Hmm. I mean, I that was just a waste, such a waste of time. And, you know, it's not like when I left there, I I, I, I knew Warren I knew of Warren Buffett, I'd attended the meetings. I made so I, the one big misstep that I would share with you was you know, so there I am, I've now managed to start my fund mm-hmm. and um I develop I'm sure you've dealt with this a lot, Stu, deep, deep envy. Because there I am running a perfectly respectable fund with about $50 million in it at the time, which was more than anybody needs to run a fund and to live a successful, happy life. However? However, I was surrounded by people like a classmate of mine from the year above me at business school, Bill Ackman, and another classmate of mine who's a very, very successful hedge fund manager in London called Chris Hahn. They were managing 100 times the amount of money that I was managing, not 500 million. Making you feel
1: puny, perhaps.
0: I felt, I felt like, as I write in the book, I felt like my very manhood was in question. <laughs> and, uh, Stu, I would have never admitted it to you at the time or anybody else, but what I was experiencing was the green monster. I was envious to a degree that I, so, I was. So
1: it affected you. Were you were able to come past that though somehow? And it was it is, you know as as a twenty seven year old or whatever you were at the time, uh, you know, were you capable of the kind of insight that you've now gleaned over time to, to see that the person who matters most really is the one that you look at in the mirror, not those who have uh, ten times or hundred times what you have in the bank. <laughs>
0: I mean, I, Stu, I don't think that there are, in my case, there were no big breakthroughs. I think constantly exposing myself to opportunities to introspect, and, you know, I think that I did, a lot of it was mm-hmm. psychotherapy, but then these sort of uh, forums. These these YPO and entrepreneurs organization forums. I mean, I just think
1: they're all about uh, introspection and, and discovery of what's really ma- what really matters, aren't they?
0: Yeah, and and so I think that you know my my view on that is that mm-hmm. you know humanity is infinite, and therefore there are an infinite number of ways to introspect, and I think that you know I don't I don't think that any one way is better than any other way. But you know whatever works for you at the time, it might be going to yoga classes, it might be doing meditation, it might be uh, the religion, that, the religious tradition that you're a part of, or it might be exploring a new religious tradition. All of these things. I mean, if I if I think if I get it down to its core, what do religious traditions try to do? Yes. I think a big part of it is trying to preserve. Environments and conditions in which human beings discover their capacity to
1: introspect, mm-hmm.
0: and so it's not. And that's like,
1: what the rituals are all about, right? Is, is absolutely is the, the, taking the time to reflect the, on what matters.
0: They're the sort of they're, they're the sort of vessel, but the real the, what's really important is what's being carried in the vessel, and so I don't think you know, Stu. I think there's a there's a bias that books have. In that, you know, in a book, you just have to, you, you get edited down and so much has to be excluded. So you end up talking about the three big ideas or the one big idea. And sometimes it's not three or one big ideas. It's hundreds of small ideas. And in my case, I think there was no one single thing that enabled me to suddenly see, oh, you're consumed by envy guy. Because, and that's a painful realization, but there was something good on the other side that once I realized it, I could clean it up. Pretty quick, but exactly how I got there was in a certain sense going back to surrounding yourself with people who are better than you. Mm-hmm. If you surround yourself with people who are slightly better, slightly more honest, slightly more authentic, slightly more capable of introspection, that's going to rub off on you. And I think that I was doing that, in, you know, and just consider, Stu, not like. Three or four weeks, or five or six months—consider a decade worth of, of pushing in that direction.
1: Really, and a whole so- lifetime, right? Uh, Guy, I'm afraid that we are running out of time. Just as as you were just saying, it takes so much in conversation to to truly discover, uh, you know, the essence of uh, these these insights. We're, we're going to have to bring it to a close here. Uh, I've been speaking with with Guy Spear. Guy, thank you so much for joining me in our audience today.
0: Such a pleasure. Thank you for
1: having me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Guy Spear and that it stimulated some new ideas for action for you. I've worked with many executives uh, and people at all stages of their careers, and one of the things we know with a great deal of confidence is that... It's hard to envision your real future and the one that you truly want without first doing the work of exploring your past and mining it for insight about who you are and who you then want to become. So here is a challenge for you, an invitation that emanates from what I was thinking about Uh, in this conversation with with Guy Spear. And it's a short version of a question that I ask students in my total leadership class at Wharton, and where we offer it elsewhere in organizations around the world. And here it is. What is the most significant event that has occurred in your life so far, no matter what your age, An event that has shaped your values, that determined what you hold most dear. How did that event or that episode in your life affect what matters most to you? And are you living in accord with those values today? I'd love to hear from you as you explore this question uh, and want to write about it, share it with me or with your friends and loved ones, trusted advisors, and get some reactions to what that story might mean for your present and your future, you can contact me, just email me, friedman at wharton or tweet at me uh, at Stu Friedman. And for more about Guy Spears' insights about wealth and enlightenment uh, and continual growth, As a leader, you can follow him on Twitter as I do. He is at G-S-P-I-E-R. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by commenting there or tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.